0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au.
1: This morning we're going to kick off the message with a little reading of the Bible. This morning we are reading from John chapter 2 and it goes like this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to them, "They have no more wine." The woman, "Why did you involve me?" Jesus replied, "My hour has not yet come." His mother said to the servants, "Do whatever he tells you." Nearby though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone who brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples there they stayed for a few days when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money so he made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple courts both sheep and cattle he scattered the coins of the money and changes and overturned their tables The one, those who sold sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews responded to him, what a sign you can show us to prove us your authority to do all this. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple had, he had spoken was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Thank you.
0: We're um, doing this series called Celebrating Good Times. That's why we read about the wedding. Um, Weddings are amazing times, aren't they? except when you're 27 and you go to about 10 weddings a year and then you just sort of get over them. But then they become amazing again as you get older. And so, you know, weddings are amazing times. They're, they're times full of hope. And, and it's interesting that Jesus uses a wedding to um, do his first miracle. I think it's pretty interesting. I want to talk to you today um, about seeing Jesus in a different light, that it helps us engage him on a deeper level. Seeing Jesus in a different light so that we can engage him on a deeper level. I, I want to engage with God deeply. Um, I don't know about you. I, I like surface conversations. I like just asking questions that help me find out interesting things about you. But the relationships that we really love are the ones that go deeper, aren't they? I was talking to Hallie's mum, Nat, this morning. And I was saying to Nat, I've been to Nat's house and, and Nat's like her... Um, what do you call that cupboard you put your food in? Pantry. pantry. Nat's pantry is like a work of art. It's like everything's to the front, everything's in its place, everything's labelled to the front. It's like for me, growing up in the household I did, it's like heaven on earth. And so when I would go to Nat's house, I'd just sneak over to the cupboard, turn some things upside down and backwards, change a shelf here or there. But because we've actually been to Nat's house, you know a little bit more than you might otherwise know, and now you do as well. And I think that sometimes we get, um, I'll speak for me, I don't know about you, we, we get content, I suppose, where it's at with Jesus. And, but I want us to see Jesus in a different light, a, a different aspect, a different angle so that we can engage him on a deeper level. And and I love this passage. I I didn't stop at the wedding uh, wedding feast because I wanted us to just quickly glance the broader picture. Thinking about this text we just read, um, we see that Jesus goes into the temple and causes all sorts of chaos. He turns it upside down. And I wanted to include that because most of us, in my experience in church, most of us sit in, uh, in two ends of the spectrum where like the what's going on at the wedding banquet sort of Jesus or where what's going on in the temple kind of Jesus and Jesus is both and 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 in the in the temple we see Jesus I mean the Jesus the zealot Jesus the I'm living for G I'm living for Jesus I'm living for God he's not living for Jesus I'm living for God the father and do with it what you will here I come it's me it's God here I come and and we get this idea of the the zealous Jesus um the carnage and chaos as Jesus whips through it in righteous anger and righteous rage and the images that unfold and and this would have been for those gathered there this day that the temple was the center of Jewish community the day Jesus tears up the temple is a day you remember like when you're old can you think of something where you were there and you're like you're going to remember that when you're old I wasn't there but I remember where I was the day that Australia won the America's Cup. And I remember this because yesterday they did a story on it. And, and um, in 1982 or whenever it was, and I was just a kid, and I remember watching the TV as Australia came from 46 seconds behind to beat the Americans in the America's Cup after 132 years, I think it was, of winning and cheating and changing the rules so that they never lost. And Australia 2-1 and they lifted the keel out of the water and the Prime Minister said words that I won't exactly repeat, but essentially you can have a day off Australia. And I remember where I was. These people would forever remember where they were the day Jesus tore up the temple. And it's a it actually is an insight into God and can someone please turn off my lock? Can you do that for me? I thought I turned it off. Do you know how to do that? Yeah, otherwise it's going to lock me out. Thank you. Which might be good for you, bad for me. They, um, and so we get this picture of Jesus. Jesus that is full on for God. Jesus that is just going to live for God. He doesn't care what people think. And so then we go to the end of the passage and in John chapter 2 and, and the final words and it says... And uh, verse twenty-four, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, meaning the people, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. And what I love about this is that Jesus didn't care for the opinions of people. He didn't need their affirmation. He didn't need their. He didn't care for their opinions. He he was living for an audience of one. He was about God the Father's will, about what God the Father wanted and nothing was going to stop him. And we get these sort of pictures of Jesus, you know, don't you want to live? Thank you very much. Don't you want to? I want to live like that. I really want to come to the place in life. It's one of my hopes, really, for next year. I want to come to the place in life where your opinion matters so little to me, not in a bad way, in a good way, that I'll just live for God, undistracted by the opinions of men and unaffected by the expectations of people just living because this is what God the Father wants. Well, Jesus, that's part of who he was and we see that in him so we see jesus in the temple and we see jesus before the people and we get this sort of light this different light this different aspect on jesus that helps us engage with him in a certain way and yet that's not what i i want us to talk about what's next here today because what's next for me personally strikes me most because what's next is what i most naturally don't think of jesus like I mean, those two things I just mentioned, for me, I've always thought of Jesus that way. He is Lord. He, he's a zealot for his heavenly Father. I've always thought of Jesus like that. But, but when we come to the wedding banquet, that, that's kind of different. So let me read it to you. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, just pause. It sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? He's saying to his woman. Uh, commentators say it wasn't harsh. It's an interpretation. It's actually having a loving, engaging conversation with his earthly mother. But I love, Jesus gives this, and I love what Mary does. His mother turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Jesus says, no, not doing it. It's not time. And his mother says, just do what he says. Only a mother could get away with doing that to the Son of God. And I'm not a Catholic. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Okay, just to be clear. But, But only a mother could. You see the humanity of the situation here. And she gets it. His mother said, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some, some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice, wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till last. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs um, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Seeing Jesus in a different light helps us engage with him at a deeper level. This is a pretty extraordinary place to start your miracles, isn't it? Uh, where are you, if you're Jesus, where are you going to start your miracles? I'm tipping most of us, if I think about how I think about God naturally left to myself, I'm not anticipating that Jesus' first miracle to announce this kind of ministry, his first miracle is probably not going to be at a wedding turning water into wine. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus turned water into wine as his first miracle, and, and the church has been trying to turn wine back into water for 2,000 years, right? That's that's how it is. And so, Jesus decides that it's going to be a wedding. He he He, he doesn't, make the first miracle he does a healing though he will do that and he doesn't make the first miracle he does forgiving sins though that is a miracle and he will do that and he doesn't make gathering in the temple and doing something supposedly super spiritual his first miracle though he will do that what he does is turns up to a wedding and turns water into wine in order that he'd be a blessing And the uh, ultimate effect would be his disciples believe. I don't know about you, but that if I think about that a little more deeply, that messes with my thinking on who Jesus is. Jesus in a different light and on a different level. Jesus in this scene I've written here is smashing the box that I had him in. I don't know about you. If you think differently, smashing the box that we have him in, maybe in the temple is smashing the box you have him in because you think it's a free-for-all and it's not. that smashes our box or, or or the wedding banquet smashes our box because we don't think of Jesus this way naturally it's just not how we think of him and so Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 10 going to come up on the screen it says of him for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Aren't you glad about that? As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, etc. My word will not return void that goes out from my mouth, the Bible goes on to, to say. Here's my thought. If our theology on God is practically speaking fixed and rigid... It may be that we've boxed in who he is in our own eyes and who he can be in my life. If my theology on Jesus is fixed and rigid, I begin to box in who he is in my own life and what he can do. It doesn't change who he is, of course, because he's not limited to my box, but it changes who he is in my life. When I first became a Christian as a young man, because I had the picture of Jesus in the temple causing havoc if you didn't just live for God, I would get up and pray with an alarm clock. Get up, set my alarm, I'm going to pray till that thing goes off. Who knows, that's sort of, I don't know, what is the word, sterile. But now, to be honest, many years later, I love nothing more than grabbing a coffee, putting up the pillows on my bed, taking bronze and ruining it as I do, a doona, a Bible, and the world leaving me to sit there, read the scriptures and talk with Jesus. I mean, that's like this side of heaven, as good as it gets. But it wasn't always the way that it was. And it took God smashing my box, ripping off the top and punching out the sides so that I could see him in a different light that we might go deeper in the way we engage. Jesus didn't care for their boxes. Jesus doesn't sit neatly into mine and he doesn't fit into yours either. It's just not how he does it. For some of us, we struggle with Jesus in the temple and for others, we struggle with Jesus in the wine and they're both Jesus. For many of us, I've written here, Jesus as we see him at the wedding feast defies our God box, doesn't he? So let me talk to you about that because perspective changes things. I don't know about you. We live in a, you know, a smallish town. It's not small. It's not big. It's what it is. I love that. I love that you go down the street and you run into endless people you know. Does anybody else enjoy that? Unless you're in a hurry. <laughs> then it's hell. You wish you lived in the center of Sydney in that moment where you don't know anybody. But generally, I don't know about you. I love it. I love going to a coffee shop where I know people. love going shopping and knowing people. love going shopping and spending money with people. They uh, I love that. But on the other side of it, it's small. And depending on what you do for a living, you could think you're kind of a big deal, couldn't you, in a small town? Because we're kind of a big deal where we live. And thinking about that, if you change your perspective, on Thursday night, I had to go do something um, church-wise over on the coast, and I was driving back as that crazy, you know, the craziest storm in the history of the world. I was on the top of the Dorigo Range. Me and the storm on the top of the Dorigo range, and I can honestly tell you, well, no, I don't want to tell you that I was a little scared. I was fearless. Actually, I got out, ran down the road, held metal towards the sky. So. And I did, I'm like, God, I just hope you protect me. I just want to make sure we're good. And I'd really <laughs> like to get home for Christmas. You know, that, honestly, that's how I was praying. And and I was on top of the range. There's no I'm looking, I'm like, I know that I know that trees are meant to be bad but I feel like a tree and make me feel better And but I'm not, I'm exposed on top of the range and I know the road really well so I kept going until I got down in a gully and then I just sat in the gully and I enjoyed the light show but i tell you what, I was in awe of God in that moment. I suddenly became very small in the best of ways as I started to go, oh wow, you know, like I said, on top of the range, I did repent If you'd have asked me earlier that day, is there anything to repent of, I would have gone, no, go talk to Nordo. But but sitting there... At 12 o'clock midnight, with a storm like multiple cracks across the sky, and what seemed like from here to that wall away, my car lit up like it was on, like shining, and 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 you couldn't drive. When if you in that moment, I'm like, I am so small. God, you were so big. I am in your hands. and that perspective, I can tell you, my relationship with Jesus went deeper in a hurry. It's true. And when we get a perspective and stay away from the edge of the platform, when we get a perspective. On Him, when we start to see a different light of who He is, not just the God in the midst and at my on-demand call, but God who rules over everything and is the author and the authority over the storm, when I start to get that sort of change going on and see Him in a different light, it starts to deepen the way we communicate and the way I live with Him. So the first thought here as we come, I've got here mind shifts. The first mindset shift in the miracle itself was, was in the miracle itself, water into wine. Jesus in a different light just because of water into wine. Like I said, Jesus decides that his first thing he's going to do is turn water into wine, and I think that just messes with my head altogether straight away. It's not what I would do. He doesn't help the poor, though he will. He doesn't heal the sick, though he will. He isn't in the temple praying, doing all kinds of miracles, though he will. He doesn't forgive sins, though he will, and he turns water into wine at a wedding for people who have drunk lots already we're not sure what that means my teetotaling friends tell me that it was grape juice I'm not sure that it was grape juice I'm going to take God out of his box here and just say that it was wine it was wine that they had in the day and I'm not here to have a controversial subject about that what the Bible says is two things one be convinced of what you believe on these matters and two don't be drunk the rest of it is up for grabs. So that's the first thing. Think about it. Jesus, God in the midst of us, decides that the first miracle he will do on earth is turn water into wine. And in that place and against that backdrop, Jesus is doing what he so often does. He's just challenging and and changing mindsets around things as it relates to how we perceive him. The second mindset shift is this. He allows himself to be moved. Verses three to five. I like this about Jesus. I like that he's not a steer and far off. He allows himself to be moved. When the wine, verse 3, was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then it goes on. He does what he does. Jesus could be moved. He could be moved by need. He could be moved by people. He could move, be moved by the, the mother's heart of Mary. He could be moved. I like that he can be moved. God can be moved in his heart by the prayers of people. Um, someone will say that in this moment, we see Jesus' humanity on display, that he'll be moved. But I would suggest to you that actually what we see is a reflection of who God is on display. It would be arrogant of us to think that when Jesus acts in a generous way that he's more human no when we act like Jesus did here we actually become more godlike it's it's the reverse the thing is flipped it's Jesus acting like God and us getting an insight into who he is and what he's like the the second mindset shift is in the way that Jesus can be moved Um, he can be moved by people I like this idea that it says to us that he's good and you go, well, I know this, Darren. Think about it deeply. When you think about the way you react to Jesus, the way you respond to Jesus, the way you worship Jesus, is it really within me that he is good, that he is kind, that he is willing? I love that he was willing in this moment and that he is close. He can be moved because he's good, because he's kind, because he's willing, because he's close. I, um, I don't know why this year it was a quirky year for me. So many things went so wonderfully well. And a couple of other things didn't go as planned. And I, I always struggle with things that don't go as planned. When God doesn't do as I would like God to do in the timeline, I would like God to act. And that frustrated me a fair bit this year. I had to overcome more than for many years. I had to come overcome just discouragement in my soul and live with courage. It was a good year for that. I'm thankful for it. It sets up the rest of your life when you learn that discouragement will not hold you back, but courage will compel you forward. But when I was telling a good friend of mine who I have known for a long time, he sent me those words. He said, Darren, God's good. God's kind. God's close. And it just lifted my spirit. Just that little insight into who God is and what God's like. I immediately wanted to go deeper with him. He's good. He's kind. He's willing. He's close. The Bible tells us in James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The third mindset shift here is he looks to bless and this really messes with some of my friends, that God looks to bless. I like the idea that Jesus doesn't just deliver the wine. It says he delivers the best wine. That, that messes with a lot of Christians' heads. Even some of you right now are like, oh, Darren, are you taking down the prosperity route? I'm taking it down a biblical route. You go, oh, yeah, but are you taking it down a prosperity route? I'm taking it down a biblical route. Jesus turned water into wine and made it the best that was available. He's a God who blesses. He He's a king who blesses. He wants to do good. I've written it like this, the more than enough God, the blessing upon blessing God. And I tell you, it took me years to get my head around this. Even though I read it in scripture, I see it in Jesus. It has actually been the story of my life to this point for the most part. And yet even then, sometimes I've struggled to believe that he is the more than enough God, the blessing beyond the blessing upon blessing God and do you see him that way do you see Jesus that way because I think if I do things are going to go deeper in my life things are going to be different if I see that he is a God who truly blesses and not withholds that he's the blessing upon blessing the more than enough God that is going to change the way I interact with him and the way I live out my life surely for sure right so how about that for you do you see him as he is the more than enough God the God of the blessing upon blessing or is that outside our box? He doesn't only supply wine, here he gives the best, and he doesn't only forgive sins, he gives power to live overcoming them, doesn't he? he, On every front, Jesus sort of over supplies, and seeing Jesus in a different light helps us to engage with him at a different level. Here's the fourth thing, it's kind of connected. Number four is he is inclined towards overflow, I love this idea. Oh, what an incredible idea that God is inclined towards overflow. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Um, Jesus gathered every available jar, every available jar. He didn't say grab three. He said, see all those, see those six jars over there? I like the fact that he takes the temple pots, don't you? He takes those things sacred and kept for the temple and uses them to fill them with water and turn them into wine for a party. That'll mess with your theology. <laughs> Jesus, he, He's the God of the overflow. We we see it in the we see it here in His first miracle. What a statement. Take all the jars and then they fill them to the brim and the wine is full to the top. He's the God of the overflow. And so maybe now, you know, some people might be thinking, Darren, you really are preaching prosperity. I would suggest to you, I'm not preaching prosperity, but that you've got God in a box. There's nothing to resist here, that God would be the blessing upon blessing God, the God of the overflow. It's who He is. It's on display everywhere. It's on display in His creation. It's on display in the cross. It's on display in the resurrection. It's on display in the promise of heaven. It's on display everywhere you look and everything you can touch. We see the the God of the overflow on display. Listen to the Bible. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he, speaking of God, throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. Don't you love that? His right living, right giving ways, never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-form lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Generosity is a highly valued principle of Scripture because it's a core value of the living God. And I don't know about you. I'm my box that I'm tempted to put God in. I I always want to be pushing out the sides. I always want to be kicking off the lid. Oh, I want to have sound theology. Absolutely. But, But not a theology that limits who he is. A theology that can see aspects of him and grow. You know, we haven't seen all there is to know about him yet. I've been married 18 years. I can anticipate some of my wife's reactions internally in any given conversation. If you've been married a while, you know what I mean. I can know if she's going to feel insecure and I'm not very observant. I can know if, if that would have hurt her. I can know those things and yet there's so much more to know. How much more for God? I mean, we're scratching the surface of who he is and, and it's His he's willing to reveal himself to us that, that we might engage with him in a deeper way and he's a God of the overflow. I love that. I love the fact that he is. I love that he is in your life. I love that he is in my life as I wrap this today. He is the God of the overflow. And I just wonder, I wonder, the end of this for them was disciples, they believed. They just believed. They saw Jesus generous. They saw Jesus miraculous. They saw Jesus abundantly pouring out at a wedding feast. And the Bible says they believed in him. See, they, they saw him in a certain light. They saw him as a rabbi. And now they saw him for who he was, the Messiah. Something had gone on and now something would go deeper. And for you and I, as we continue to allow that to happen in our lives, something can go on and something can begin to go deeper as we just see fresh aspects of who he is in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you.